podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello everyone and welcome to The Weekender. My name is Mo Stewart. I don't normally host a Weekender, as you probably know, but that's because John and Neil are off in America because Liverpool are in America. The US tour officially kicked off a couple of days ago and we're going to be hearing some stuff that they did before they left and we're going to be hearing a little bit more about what we expect to see over the course of this tour. Now I've got an all-star cast alongside me, uh, Emilia Bonner, Joel Rabinowitz, Mike Kearney and Lizzie Doyle and we're going to start with talking about the games that are upcoming and the tour as a whole. Now, if you don't know, there's going to be three games against three good European teams. We've got Sevilla, Sporting Lisbon, and first up, another meeting, just like last year, with Klopp's ex-club, Borussia Dortmund. Now, he's going to be hoping it's not quite as awkward as it was last year, this meeting, where Pulisic managed to score two goals and left Klopp with a handful of questions. Thankfully, he managed to answer those questions over the course of the season, as you will probably know by now. Uh, Mike, I'll start with you. Uh, I know from looking at your social media that you've been really keen for the Reds to get back in action. Uh, how excited have you been with seeing them so far in these first two pre-season games? Yeah, I'm, I'm just made up my back, to be honest. Uh, I know I've enjoyed the summer just being a European champion. and Anything can everything I do. Just knowing I'm a European champion is great. In the Asda, European champion. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> giving your toast in the morning as a European champion. Um, no, absolutely relieved we're back. Um, Impressed so far, mainly with it's been two games with two forty-five minute teams either side, basically. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you can only be really be impressed with the individual performances as we go so far. So, I know it's it's good to get forty-five minutes in the legs of a lot of people returning, and the likes of Chamberlain and Brewster coming back after a long layoff. You know, it's good for them to sort of get forty-five and hopefully longer as we go into pre-season to their belt, so they know they can physically like cope with the demands of the season coming up. So. It's just, it's great. It's obviously great to be watching football again, isn't it? <laughs> I've, I've been watching a lot of what I would describe as filler sport to try and get through this summer. Um, I was considering just getting dead into the Netball World Cup, but I thought it'll it's come to bad. an end. It's not filler. That's no, no, not a filler. As in, like, I mean, Cricket World Cup has also been filler. As in, they're all great, but they ultimately mean nothing to me because they're not football. But you kind of find yourself getting dead into other things where you're like, you know what? I really do love the darts. Where it's like anything, I'll pick absolutely anything. <laughs> like they're all worthy sports in their own right, but they're kind of just like it's while my other sports on holiday and I'm bored. So yeah, that. Well, I mean, people who know me know exactly how I feel about some of those filler sports. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to gloss over that slightly, but it is strange in some ways to see the Reds going straight back to America because we were there obviously last year for the International Champions Cup. Amelia, I'll ask you this one. Do you think it's a bit surprising that we've gone back so soon? Obviously, we know that the club do have strong American links with the American owners. And obviously, last time we didn't go to their heartland of Boston. In fact, this time it seems like we're doing an Irish tour because we're going to Notre Dame, we're going to Boston, and then we're going to New York, which is, you know, Irish heartland. So, uh, I mean, we do have a massive global fan base. I'm sure there are people on other continents who are desperate to get to see the Reds. Are you surprised we're going back to America again? Not at all. No, I think it's, um, in terms of the growing market, it makes sense. But also just in terms of Klopp, it makes sense in that if you asked him, he'd probably quite like to not do pre-season tours. I know he, he mm-hmm. wouldn't be able to say that, but ideally he'd like to not bother with any of this and just keep them all here and let them go on a nice holiday and then just get them to Melbourne and get them training. But I think if you're gonna, if he has to do a pre-season tour, this kind of works for him because it's short. You can get it done. There's kind of a limited number of dates. And also, although it is 
obviously long haul it's not as long distance as some other options could be so mm. it's kind of in terms of what the traveling takes out of them as well as the play and the planes kind of a, you know it's it's neither it's not neither here nor there it's very important mm. but the travel time and the kind of the exhaustion that goes into that kind of long haul before the season then kind of creeps up on us quite quickly um it's probably a good option and i guess it's familiar and it's routine um mm. and it kind of it makes a bit of sense because we've done it and it's within our memory um and i think yeah, there's no negating how important that grower market is and how significant it is to us as a club, as Joel will obviously be able to tell you, because that's like his old job now, is, is writing for those lads. But I just think <laughs> um, when when you do go out there and like when we were in New York earlier in the year, we watched a match um, in, I can't remember the name of it now, the tavern um, in the East Village that's the, that you know, the one and everyone's going to think I'm an idiot for not knowing it, that one yes. where they have the supporters club. Um, and like... It's just dead different that you're like, yous are up at seven in the morning drinking a pint because you care this much about the Reds when it's just like, I mean, I've seen Kev Walsh give a ticket away to uh, when he can't be bothered leaving the pub, like to go into the ground. Um, and I just think, yeah, like they deserve to get to watch them and to have a bit of fun watching them and to watch them play in other great teams. And mm. yeah, why not? That's true. I mean, no need to throw Kev under the bus. <laughs> he says it himself. He's given away European <laughs> final tickets. <laughs> He's just been like, go on, mate, you go in. <laughs> well, while there's still some of his reputation intact, I'll ask you this, Joel, because you do have a bit of experience with this. And one thing I'm wondering over the course of time, because with pre-season it's always very much a balance between like Amelia said getting the right amount of rest in and the right amount of training in but also the commercial interests and it's hard to notice that the last 18 to 2 years 18 months to 2 years sorry we've had a large influx of African supporters because we've got three really good African players obviously we can't really do a tour to Africa during the African Cup of Nations but do you see it as something in the future that the, the club are going to be able to say well look We've got all of the, their superstars. We should probably bring them home once. Could be, yeah. I mean, by this weekend, we could have an African Cup of Nations winner on our hands exactly. in Sadio Mane. That's uh, Saturday night final. Yeah, Senegal. So, yeah, that's one that makes sense, I think. Um, I don't, have Liverpool ever played a match in Africa? Probably not, I don't think. I'm not sure. I don't think so. Yeah, so in terms of kind of... Obviously, the profile of the club is growing now already. Egypt makes sure that Mo Salah wins pretty much every poll going. Um, so I'm sure they'd love to have him. Um, I spent a bit of time in South Africa last year, and I know mm. from watching matches in bars and pubs over there that they're huge. I don't know how they compare to all the other clubs, but there was a lot of Liverpool fans there. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. Um, and I also think kind of this summer as well, they get to go to the US, not just as Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool and that, but they get to go there and bring that whole we're the European champions and mm. we're coming to see you um, and I think that's interesting to give another plug for Liverpool.com Dan Morgan did a really good piece there about the kind of synergy that the Women's World Cup had obviously the US women's team has had loads of attention and that's kind of boosted the profile of the sport over in the US so and obviously the Liverpool women's team have gone there as well mm. um, so I think in terms of not just Liverpool but the fact that kind of football itself is growing over in the US I think that's an interesting thing and Lots of kind of casual fans who may have watched one or two football games or have even just got into it over kind of the summer and have seen what Liverpool did in Madrid um, to kind of have them come over and be able to watch them themselves is uh, it's really exciting. No, that's a really good point, actually, because it has become a really 
attractive place for the big European teams to go to America. Everyone wants to try and grow their market because, as you say, not only is it growing quickly, but it's quite lucrative. And we were over there with the big old shiny trophy that they all did get. <laughs> I like the sound of that. Now, obviously, not every single member of that heroic squad is going to be there. As Joel mentioned, Sadio Mane is actually still in Africa, still trying to win his next trophy. Uh, Alison and Firmino are... I was going to say on the beach, but I mean, with Bobby, we guess he's probably dressed garishly in some ridiculous party. He's partying with Coutinho. I was yeah. going to say. Yeah. We know where you are, Bobby. <laughs> but yes, he's not in America. But there are going to be some other people who we will be looking at. And Lizzie, one thing about pre-season we always talk about is the, emer- the chance for an emergence from new people. And it kind of has a little bit more weight to it this year because there's a real chance that some of those guys who are still on holiday or still performing aren't going to be available for the first start of the season so it's going to be a real audition for some guys to maybe get in the first team squads yeah I think they know that as well um, it is a bit of an audition and I think um, we do need to go all gutter-esque as we've done a lot of gutter chat <laughs> and transfer chat recently about not much going on but I think it plays into it there's there's nothing really going on and, and I think you would have known by now if Liverpool were going to make a big sign and I don't yeah. think it's Liverpool's style to sort of hide and then you know drop a bomb at 23.59 on transfer deadline day I don't yeah. think that is the case so this is an audition to go you know what lads yeah okay we've got our 11 we all have an 11 you know City have an 11 Barca have an 11 Man United have an 11 it's your ideal 11 but mm-hmm. realistically that 11 can't play every game so no. Jurgen Klopp will go into these lads and go, well, what I'm asking of this team, the intensity that we play around, you know, how fast our football is, you've got a chance to become their understudy. And, you know, if I was them, and I wouldn't wish injuries on anybody, but if I was them, and I'd be thinking I'm one injury away from Mm -hmm. getting a start, and that's their opportunity. I think maybe more so for the ones trying to break into that front three. If that's even possible, I don't know. But um, I think it's more of an audition for them. Um, and I'd probably say the centre-halves as well. Mm. I think Lovren's, mm. you know, fit now. Gomez is fit. Matt's have come off the back of a great season. Virgil's obviously unmovable. So they've, they have got a big pre-season ahead. The front three... Sorry. No, 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 sorry, go ahead. <laughs> the front three is the hardest one because you just think if you're one of the lads that we're looking at and going, well, Sadio's not back, so someone's got to fit in there and we've got to move things around. There's probably few harder positions to be in than being the fourth option do you know what I mean because you could have an absolute belter first match of the season or pre-season and then that first game where you might not be back for it and then it's like alright lad back on the bench for the rest of the season then until Sadio gets it like in, in case something happens to Sadio where you're just like it's kind of got to be a bit heartbreaking to actually try that hard and to think you know what I've shown why I deserve a spot in that front three there and to go ultimately the front three is going to remain unchanged but remember, but remember when was it Bournemouth um, that Salah was rested mm-hmm. yeah and true. it's like I don't think he wants to rest them I think sometimes he feels like he, ha- he has to um, mm-hmm. and I think if if you Divock Origi, I'd be going. I'm Divock Origi, and I I I was the legend of last season. He might be expecting to start on the left at some point. Mm, yeah. or I don't know if he goes through the middle because if Firmino will Firmino be back or not? Yeah, it's yeah. going to heavy on, isn't it? Firmino. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so if Firmino's back, um, Salah will be back. Then it's probably uh, Divock on the left. So he's probably thinking that. But if I'm Rian Brewster. We yeah. know that Divock Origi is an impact. So if I'm Rian Brewster, I'm thinking I am gonna, I'm, 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 I'm gonna make a case for myself, and why not? Yeah, yeah. I think as well when you think about the idea, of, like you say, the the front three is going to be always uh, all of the big games and most of the games is going to be those three going mm. forward. But it gives Klopp the option. Yeah, saying, no, for like, sure. You know, or and there are a lot of times over the course of the season where players pick up knocks that we don't hear about yeah. and they just kind of power through it and then you never know two or three months later the wear and tear from that 
ends up in a bigger injury that we don't know about. So I genuinely think Klopp's the kind of guy who, if you do show him something exactly what he wants, then you might be able to parlay that into more minutes. And I'm sure that's probably what he's told Ryan Brewster. Yeah. We'll have to wait and see. We will have to wait and see. see. Not that long either. No, it's not. And the thing about these games that I like is we're going to get to see who... Because it is going to be two teams, two 45-minute games. That is how Klopp likes to do his pre-season games. But we're going to get to see exactly who plays with whom and maybe some budding partnerships across the pitch start to spring up. So it's all exciting. Now, as I mentioned, the very first of those opponents is Borussia Dortmund. And... They've kind of been busy themselves. They look a very different team to the team that we played just 12 months ago, Joel. And they're almost a coming force in European football, kind of like we are. And I think most Liverpool fans do have some kind of affinity for them for being, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of allies in the fight against Bayern Munich on that scale. Definitely. But um, have you been impressed by their summer business so far? Yeah, they've, uh, they've done an interesting one there. Obviously, everyone's talking about Coutinho at the moment and everyone's got different opinions on that but they've gone and brought back Mats Hummels from Bayern Munich um, and I think they paid quite a lot for him I think he's about 30 now yeah. but they paid about 30 million I think to bring him back um, which is quite a lot for a defender at that age um, but again although he didn't have the best of times against Liverpool he's still a great player and I think he's going to upgrade their defence um, there were quite a lot of parallels to be drawn in their league campaign with ours as well mm-hmm. they'd led for a long time and they're kind of underlying feeling I think or at least me as an outsider doesn't watch Bundesliga every week was that you thought at some point that Bayern would just kind of eventually pit them and they did as happened with us and Man City so there are parallels there obviously the Klopp connection is still very strong um, but yeah they've, they've done some really interesting stuff as well as Hummels they've brought in Julian Brandt yep. and uh, Forgan Hazard so that's two big attacking signings um, and I think a lot of people expected that Jadon Sancho might be on the move this summer and it's been surprisingly quiet on that one mm-hmm. um, he's still there Marco Royce is still there and he seems to have got over his kind of injury nightmare from the last few years so they've got loads of, of great attacking players and I think out of those three opponents that Liverpool are going to face in the US they will present probably the, the toughest test I would imagine um, in terms of kind of preparing Liverpool for the Premier League and the Champions League um, it's going to be interesting because of all those players that I mentioned a lot of them are kind of pacey wide players so Liverpool's fullbacks are going to have an interesting job there Klopp's now got apart from Allison, he's got his kind of first choice defenders all back um, and it'll be interesting to see the likes of Brewster as well I know we're all really excited and I can't wait to see how he gets on kind of against a higher calibre opponent so yeah very interesting opponents and I think they'll be very different from the team Liverpool faced um, already mm. Now you mentioned quite a few names there that Liverpool fans would have remembered from transfer sagas of the past yeah. so thinking back to Marco Royce obviously but even more recently the likes of <clears throat> the people they bought this year, Thorgan Hazard and Julian Brandt. Now, a lot of the time, we go into these games and there's always some kind of transfer saga going on. Now, Mike, one other guy that I, Joel did mention was Jaden Sancho. And he's someone, a lot of the transfer shows that I've done, a lot of the, anytime we put out any requests for a talk, his name pops up. So uh, are you looking forward to seeing him and uh, maybe start starting the plan to kind of woo him across the park? Yeah, I mean, last season he was outstanding, wasn't he? And he really burst onto the scene and, and proved to anyone in academies all around the world, mainly in the in the Premier League, like, just go and do it. Because if you're good enough, you'll be good enough anyway. And, you know, I, I don't know how many goals he ends on exactly, but he definitely he definitely chipped in to help a team that finished seconds in the Bundesliga. 
think it was about the 12 in the league. 12, yeah, I think, like how old is he, 18, 19? Yeah, and about 17 assists or something. That is ridiculous. And, you know, it would be great to think we could we could get him maybe next summer. It feels like it's, everyone's going to be sort of using him, stalking him this season. <laughs> watch, watch him last season, stalk him this, and it's going to be a lot of money to get him away, isn't it? But, you know, I think everyone... The, the only thing that's stopping people now with this summer maybe is the fact that he, he probably isn't that willing to jump ship straight away they're probably not that willing to take a risk on a lad who's only done it once so far this, in one season and look he's obviously good so it's just you've got to uh, take into account that he needs to be good and, and to hit the ground running no matter where he goes because it's going to be a big transfer fee so mm. you want to make sure he's worth shelling out for a lot of money and Blackpool pleasure vouchers <laughs> well I'm sure the club's got a lifetime membership by now <laughs> I reckon so yeah Jaden Sancho I'll be looking forward to seeing him yeah and just another thing as well and I was meant to mention there on Julian Brandt as well which is a mad thing looking back but he was rightly reported at the time as kind of Liverpool's first choice when they were going to sign either him or Salah yep. um, and Liverpool really wanted him Klopp was supposedly kind of dead set on him and I think the kind of word at the time was he didn't want to move because he wasn't sure whether he'd get his game at Liverpool so he stayed at Leverkusen and he's had a really interesting season actually he's gone from kind of a pacey wide forward as is what Liverpool were looking for to this sort of deeper lying central midfielder um, so again that's another interesting story a player that Liverpool have been kind of heavily linked with for a while and I think he's kind of kicked on a whole new level so it'd be exciting to see how he gets on more of a soap opera than a football match than I think yeah. we're going to be seeing <laughs> but it's going to be an exciting one nonetheless I think that's one thing we can all agree on every time Liverpool play against Dortmund it's never boring now thanks to all those guys now for that first little bit of a taster it's time to get Neil in to do a little bit of work now he's been talking to our good friend Simon Hughes who's also been very busy he's written another book about the season just gone called Ale 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 and here is Neil to tell, ask him all about it Made up to be joined by Cy Hughes to talk about his book, LA, LA, LA. Uh, three LAs there from Cy, must be referencing something. Um, <laughs> the book, what I love uh, is you love a jumping off point, don't you? You're one man who lives for a jumping off point. This is not the story of one season. This is the story of, well, of a city. This is the story of of, of, of 10 years, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I... I didn't want to sort of... I did anticipate there would be other books about this season. Well... <laughs> so that leads to another conversation about another book being produced by the Anfield But I'm, uh, I'm books by Paul Tompkins, and I'm people are doing Tompkins, books, they're all good writers. Yeah, yeah. They're all but good dogs. I, I think there's enough room... Well, there's certainly enough room in the uh, the, the publishing industry to <laughs> publish all these books. That's the right thing to say. No, but it is, it's true, I mean, that there's... Uh, told, you know, Liverpool are on the, on the march, and I was thinking sort of six months away from the end of the season, so around New Year... Know, if if Liverpool do happen to do something this year, and I haven't done a book about it, particularly when it's coming up to the end of a decade, when I've done books on each of the other decades, I thought I'm going to regret not yeah. bringing it out at this time. So obviously that got me thinking. But I also thought, I also recognise that, I don't know whether other people who listen to this have read my other books where they're very much interview-led. I, I wanted this to be different because doing four books with exactly the same sort yeah. of format is a bit repetitive and not very imaginative. So, yeah, and it's also, you know, let's let's have it right. You know, it's difficult, I think, in this decade to get players, management, staff, boardroom people to sit down with you for the best part of an afternoon and tell you exactly what's happened. Um, just because, you know, people don't have as much time um, and a lot of them are still active. So I thought, right, I'm, I want to do a book which is a bit more thematic-led, you know, about how... 
the club hasn't just you know progressed this season but over the last 10 years which for me it really sort of reminded me of how far Liverpool have travelled you know I, I think I think yeah. I think can I just sort of say I haven't read the book I feel as though the prologue is Liverpool beating Real Madrid 4-0 the beginning of the book is Hodgson coming in and this is how you structure it. I want to be really clear to the listeners. This is how you do it. But like in the timeline that you're mm. sort of covering, basically, you, yeah. that is that fair? You sort of yeah. you've, you've you've gone from it's mentioned a couple of times the beating Real Madrid four 0 thing. So that's why it's in my head. And yeah. then you've got this the, the the prologue. Sorry, that's the prologue. And then it is like you've gone right. I'm going to do some stuff on when Hodgson was in, and you tell a couple of the the, the stories that are now funny around Hodgson when he was when he was there. That many of which you and different journalists have got starring roles in the the madness of it all. Which I love all the Hodgson stories. And if you get me drunk, I'll tell you some of the ones that I've heard and the third hand. So they've been really well embellished <laughs> by this point. And then it goes all the way through, and it goes through to FSG coming in, what the background was, what the thought process was then the changes the changes from Camoli to Rogers the changes from Rogers to Klopp but in amongst all of that you're also telling the story of this season that, that's pretty much it you described it better than I ever could <laughs> yeah that, that I, I think the difficulty was when you're writing something which is ongoing and sort of you don't know what the ending is going to be necessarily because there was a chance when There's I started a writing this book, in there, yeah. yeah there was a, there was a chance I was thinking of Liverpool I've never been more demoralized than having come out of the game at Barcelona away, having lost three 0 having played so well, you know, the, it was such a weird. Anyway, just just you know, sort of having reports on the game, having you know, emotionally attached to the club and want, wanting them to do well, and then I was thinking, right, they're not going to win the Champions League, they're not going to win the league, nobody's going to buy the book, and I'm going <laughs> to look stupid, and I'm going to look stupid. So yeah, so that that like sort of there was there was an element of yeah, obviously you want it. I mean, people, some people have one or two sort of cynics on Twitter have said, oh, you're just trying to capitalise on the success. And it's like, well, I'm not, because I, I want to tell the fuller story, really. It's not just about this season. I'm not just telling about, you know, the, the sort of all the good parts. It's a lot of the, the dark parts as well, you know, the sort of the, 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 the sort of bits that people would rather forget. And I do I do honestly think it, it definitely reminds me, you know, in researching and interviewing people that, you know, I think on the outsides of the club, people just thought in 2010, oh, I'll just go back to normal Liverpool. People were viewing Liverpool in 2010 as still a mighty club when it, it totally it was fractured, it was civil war had happened, and it's an amazing recovery, really. I know people say, oh, well, all the money they spent, blah, 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 but the whole fan base, everything was just wrong. And to now get the club back in the position where it is, I, I thought it was well worth documenting that that, that tale in its foot, in his full away as I could do with the time you know that that I had in terms of because I, I, I was conscious of the fact I wanted the book to come out quite soon after the season because you know you want to cap you do want to capture that sort of feeling around the season as well you know you want to feel yeah. like uh, you've, you've felt this season a little bit within the book although so the season in the book is always there it's always bubbling in the background but it's sort of I found throughout the course of the season there's always little reminders of, of where they've been you can't escape the past with Liverpool I always say this I keep on using it to a bit of a tired term but Liverpool to some extent until until Klopp came along and it, it always will be to some extent as a prisoner of its past and you know you, there's always those little reminders I mean there's the chapter with Hodgson that you that you you, you sort of mentioned where it was quite a funny scene in the in the um, in the in the press well, behind the press room at Anfield on in, in January where he was being at his prickly best it was magnificent to watch and he was just fuming about the fact that he'd been asked the question 
to, to or asked to give an appreciation of Manchester City and Liverpool having beaten one of the teams and run another teams close. And he went, he was absolutely incandescent that he was asked this question and it never appeared in the actual um, the papers the following week because ultimately nobody really cared about that having you know Liverpool had won four three and that obviously led on a, you know that leads you back towards Hodgson the Liverpool manager and all the things that happened there so. You know, that was it. I suppose that was quite cathartic in some ways. The, the biggest thing that surprised me in the aftermath of the victory, when you mentioned that there, with Liverpool's always a, a prisoner of its past or past is there. Like, I remember Milner was the first one to put six fingers up. And I wasn't bothered mm-hmm. about that. And I'm still not really. I don't care about the six thing. I wanted those lads to win for them and for win for us at that stage. You know what I mean? Like, I wasn't. But what occurred to me was that those footballers, the scoreboard pressure of 18 league titles and five European Cups, I think we gloss over it really, really easily. You know, I think we really do. I think even now even when we have our conversations, but also the fact that the DNA, the way in which it's built on the shoulders of one another, that part of how Klopp approaches European nights is reminiscent of how Benitez used to approach European nights at Anfield, where mm. you could put in a massive first 20 and take the game away from someone and then play in that a little bit. But I, I, the scoreboard pressure of it, I think, is it is ever-present. And your hope now is that if that has been a weight on them to a degree, it's gone. But I was still, I am wasn't still stunned. I was stunned how much the sixth thing was in the prevalence. The manager counted on the bus straight after the game. You know, that's the day after the game. Yeah. It's not like he's doing it now. It was like, and it was there in all the iconography really quickly after the match from the club was the sixth thing. And I was surprised by that because we hadn't won a major trophy since two thousand and six. If you want to be kind to the FA Cup, mm. but it really did feel like it was. It was there, like it's in everyone's heads. Yeah, it's a really, it's a really good point, and I never quite thought of that way. But yeah, you're right, Milner. Was the first? Uh, there's a couple of Im- images have been circulating around this week, you know, because he's been scoring two goals against Bradford and stuff like that. So straight away, th- these images come back. And even being totally honest, I haven't since since the final. It, it's it's quite funny, isn't it? Because you know, a lot of people, I, I don't think Liverpool have celebrated it enough. Almost there was the big celebration on the Monday, and then everybody went away, and then went on holiday, and then that's it. Almost it, fe- it feels like. You mean the club? The, the, well, the club, uh, the fans haven't sort of. I, I, maybe it's just me personally speaking. I, I, I sort of was so drained by the whole season. As soon as I got back from Madrid, I booked another holiday the following weekend and just went away, having finished off the book as well. And as you said, the, the sixth thing it is it is symbolic, I think, because you know for it, you know for such a long time that Liverpool have, have, have that's been the, the last thing that we spoke about like Istanbul doesn't necessarily need to be spoken about so much anymore now does it you know I, I still think that until they win the league you know that that's still going to be there that's oh, still going to be hanging yeah, that's huge. still going to be hanging over but it, it did strike me how and I do genuinely feel this and I, I don't think uh, uh, you know uh, fans of other clubs have sort of contacted me through social media saying oh but you never won the league that's what you want but I've got to be honest. I haven't thought about that once, you know, since 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 Madrid. I haven't once thought about. Oh, I wish he'd won the league at all. Not once. It's all the Champions League and the glow of what happens against Barcelona. You know, again for me, Barcelona because of the way the league game came so quickly afterwards with the with the uh, the game on the Sunday trying to win the league. That almost sort of went by so quickly, but I do think that the Champions League totally took away from the um, the disappointment of not winning the league, and I, I, so it is worth writing about. You know what I mean? It's totally worth writing about. It's huge. I think it's and I think it's it's huge to to document that journey. One of the things I wanted to pick up with you before, but you know, people should read the book, buy the book. Um, it is worth reading. And one of the things that I loved was your depiction of FSG. Uh, the the extent to which, if there's one sort of guide and philosophy, and I think it's 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 hugely helpful is that it seems as though they come over like they want an argument in every room. 
and I think that that's that's something which I think gets missed. I think that because we see them or have seen them as this sort of almost sterile because they don't engage that often publicly, this sort of sterile, hopefully benign, hopefully kind, hopefully good ownership, some of which those things they've proven, you wouldn't think that from the outside. And yet your your reportage on that, the conversations you've had, you're very much very adamant that effectively what they want is they want there to be almost an argument in every room they want every bit of advice almost to be contradictory but they want it to be well articulated they want it to be smart they want it to be argued they want it to be complete well that's the one thing that i would definitely i I, i'll sort of backtrack from my position maybe four years ago not backtrack you know maybe maybe I i was a little bit too harsh on my criticism of liverpool four years ago when it did feel like you know that they wanted it to seem like everybody was getting along. That was the thing, that playing a careful game because between the PR and the reality where you get caught up in that sort of bubble of, well, everything needs to seem great. And they were trying too hard to make everything seem great where you can have constructive debates and and, and, and crossed words. and uh, But as long as you're pulling in the same direction, that that makes it okay. I think the problem was that obviously people weren't pulling in the same direction between... Brendan Rodgers, between Michael Edwards, between various other people at the club at the time, which meant that the reality wasn't, there was the reality that the club wasn't, you know, that the, the reality wasn't that everybody was getting on, you know, but people were still having, yeah. you know, it, it, it wasn't working basically at that point. So to some extent, you know, I suppose I was, I was right to some extent, but the one thing that I'll say about them is that they have always been receptive to constructive criticism. You know, I think... Um, you know, they, they, they listen to the right criticism and I think that's what has led to Liverpool to this position to, to a lot of, you know, I think to, to some extent, I mean, it's certainly clear, you know, throughout the course of the book when you read it, it the idea that they had this, they always knew what they sort of wanted to do but they didn't necessarily know how to go about doing it. There wasn't it. some sort of grand yeah, plan. Yeah, yeah, there wasn't a grand plan and they, 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 they saw things that they liked. You know, Mike Gordon's relationship with Michael Edwards is, is very important, you know, because... I think other people may have sacked Michael Edwards at the time, but he could see he thought what he what he what he what he thought was the right way forward. Um, but even being totally honest, I, does any of this happen without Jurgen Klopp? I'm, I'm not sure whether it does. You know, the big test for Liverpool to come to bring it forward. I think when Jurgen Klopp's no longer there, does this still happen? Can they still make it happen? That's the big challenge for them from here. Uh, they need to be thinking, I think, already about that. You know, they need to be thinking about how the club. Um, operates certainly. Let's just have it right. Yeah, without yeah, Jan Klopp's personality is all over the club now. Every single level of the club, the team, you know, the fans, you know, the, this. They were right to go and appoint him. They were absolutely right. But if they didn't appoint him, does all this happen? I don't know. It still it still reflects really that football is still judged by the appointments that you make and the players that you sign. Yeah, you know, but, so. but you still need, you know, there's still examples of football clubs that make good appointments that don't have the, the framework and the infrastructure. You need both the infrastructure behind and the, the big personalities or the big, you know, the big focuses uh, to, you know, the big, big people to, to, to do things right. And I think to be Liverpool's manager, you have to be a bit mad. You have to be, you know, you can't... It's not like Bar- the Barcelona job, for example, where they just appoint managers who sort of buy into the cl- the the club. Always wants to be dragged by the manager to some extent, which is against, which I, I suppose goes against consistency. You know, it sort of goes against the boot room in many ways because is Jurgen Klopp going to create a ma- you know get a, somebody who you know on his backroom staff who's going to replace him? I don't think so, really. Maybe uh, they're going to need somebody else who's similar to him, but who can bring his own fresh ideas. 
it's another debate entirely. I don't know. I'm just, uh, it's got me thinking about what happens actually now. Uh, next book then? Perhaps. Uh, LA, LA, LA. Out now? Yeah, out, uh, out on um, out on Thursday. But it's, well, this it's, is coming it's, out. This show's coming out on Friday. So all right, cool. It's out now. Yeah, it's out now. It's out uh, now yeah. This is out now. Uh, yeah. Enjoy, enjoy the book. Uh, buy it. L A L A L A. It will be in bookshops. You signing anything anywhere? Any plans? Uh, we've got a we've got a a joint book event with Rafa Honenstein. Rafa Honenstein at, um, in town on the eighth of August, the night before the start of the season. What a Thursday night that is. Uh, that's living all right. Uh, Rafa Honigstein and Cy Hughes, uh, what a pair. Get along to that. We'll get more details on that for you and do buy the book. And now it's time for our Reds bet section. Now, yes, there are still some bets you can make. Obviously, there's the African Cup and Nations final. There is some football coming. But also, if you're like my man next to me here, Mike Kearney, and you're very excited about the season to come, you can make a few future bets as well. Now, we're going to start with that uh, the football that's happening now. The first thing I mentioned, Senegal in the African Cup of Nations final. If you think that Sadio Mane is going to lead his team to victory. Uh, we've got a bet here at 9-5. to five. What are you saying, Mike? Yeah, it's all right, isn't it? It's two hours straight, 9-5, to five, decent shout. I mean, they're obviously good enough to get there. You know, there's, another, there's a few other good players in the Senegal team, but if I'm back in Senegal, I'm, I'm having Mane to score. Mm-hmm. Or Mane to score any time, so get on, get on that. Yeah, I'm assuming that once the game kicks off, there might well be more goal-scoring options. But yeah, I think as well, there's a few other guys in the Senegal team we've heard of that Sadio Mane is the one, I think, if he's going to lead. If anyone's going to lead them, it's going to be our man. So let's get to the more future bets. Now, obviously, we're all basking in the fact that Liverpool are playing very well. And the last season, they came extremely close to winning both of the big trophies. So let's see what the odds are for those said trophies. If you think Liverpool can do the Champions League again, Mike, you can get 17-2. to two. I'm, 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 I'm quite tempted by that. We're not. We should be higher up. I think we should be the favourites, or if not second favourites, because you know we've done it two years in the bounce and three years in the bounce. We've got to a European final, so it's ridiculous. But we're not like the top two or three teams in there. I mean, it's the start of a new dynasty, really. If you look at it, when you think about three years in a row, that's enough for a dynasty. I think well, we're two thirds of the way there. So I agree with you. I You're think definitely I... getting a return off your bet there. You're not, we're not getting knocked out in the group stages, are we, let's be honest. So <laughs> no. you, you, you'll be happy until at least April, I reckon, with that bet. I don't know if they have each-way options, but I imagine that'll be like final or semi-final or something. Yeah, like I think, probably, yeah. I think we're probably quite quite safe that draw notwithstanding will be good in that one. OK, let's talk about the one we really want, the Premier League. Now, that one's a little bit shorter, 13-5. to five. We have to be second favourites there, don't we? We took City to win at a point. You know, you'd be mad to a bookie to go any bigger than that. So thirteen to five probably is one of the biggest odds that you can get out there for Liverpool at the moment. I think. So you know, it. Why not? Why well, not? here's why, and maybe why not? Because there's an even better bet. If you put those two hands together, you get the rather juicy title: twenty nine to one for Liverpool to go one better than last season and win them both the Premier League and the Champions League 29 to 1 yeah I mean we literally only didn't do it last season because Man City beat us by one point so why not have a go again this season we could get there we could do it both and you know might never return if that happens <laughs> yeah I feel there might, there might be quite a few people disappearing on yachts around the world <laughs> straight after that game now obviously there's one more uh, award that's happening that towards the end of the season that we could talk about uh, it's the Ballon d'Or obviously 
Lots of our players have been winning awards individually over the course of the last 18 months. And I've got one here for you. I've not gone for the favourite. Who is Virgil van Dijk, by the way, in case you're wondering? 20 to 29. Maybe not worth a whole lot of money. One that might be, though, is uh, Mr. Golden Gloves himself, Alison Becker, who is third favourite at the price of 14 to 1. That could be a nice little outside juicy bet, that, couldn't it? 14 to 1. I, I think he'll definitely make top three. I'd be interested to do seeing if you could get a double up. Van Dijk and, and Alison either one and two, or to be in the top three in any order. <laughs> so um, he's got to be there, hasn't he? 14 to 1 for Alison to be at least in the top three if you're going each way you imagine over the course of between now and December when the vote happens he'll have had a good start to the season as well yeah no one's scoring against us no absolute clean sheet till December absolute brick wall take the trophy thank you very much I like the sound of that Mike your positivity is exactly <laughs> what we need in this section of the show because when you're betting a lot of the time you need that little bit of faith I think so thank you to Mike for that thank you as always to our partners Red's Bet uh, if you don't know a little bit about more about Resbet, they do pass on 50% of their proceeds to community uh, charities as well. So if you are someone who likes to bet, they're a very, very good place to play your bet down. And it's John Gibbons now for the weekend. I'm delighted to be joined by Paul from Cop Outs, who's going to talk to us about, well, well generally the, the ongoing relationship with Liverpool Football Club, but also looking forward to Pride. So, uh, first of all, welcome, Paul. Thank you very much, John. Great to be here. Yeah, it's nice to uh, welcome you back. And and to see this relationship growing, really, Paul, um, Cop Outs is something that, that only came on my radar sort of two, three years ago, if I'm honest. Um, I'm sure you'll tell me it's, it's been, much it's longer. It's been a flipping long journey. With, <laughs> um, I, I first started working with the club back in 2011 through the supporters committee uh, when I was selected as the LGBT representative on that supporters committee which was a huge committee back in the day 18 different people and it became pretty clear that I was using levers to achieve things that some of the other supporters committee members perhaps weren't as savvy at doing sometimes um, because obviously you have the major big issues of every fan, of tickets, of the stadium, of allocations. And I was going, well, I want us to have the right to attend the match in safety. Yeah. So it was quite fundamental. It was almost kind of like bottom level of Maslow's triangle stuff about people wanting to get to the match and feel safe. Um, and as Liverpool fans, that resonated really well across a lot of the wider fan base. So... We were also able to work with the club on things like the the actual legal duties that they had. So we got the signage changed really straight on with the club changing its signage from saying kind of don't be abusive, don't be racist, to being far more inclusive about let's be respectful to all the different communities because actually under the ground regulations homophobia has to be treated the same as racism. And it wasn't. Mm. And so they you know, they they've updated and changed their things in line with the ground regulations because we raised that in a way that meant that the club couldn't really stand behind anything because there was nothing to stand behind. Um, I had a lot of support and we engaged really well with other supporters groups and other members of the supporters committee so we have gone out there and proactively sought the support of Spirit of Shankly, engaged with Spy on Carp and others to make sure that they realised that we're not just trying to like, you know, have the right to wear a tiara on the cop or some nonsense, but actually the right to go and attend the match and feel safe and secure, and it was as fundamental as that. Um, and the support we've had from different members of supports committee uh, over a long period of time has 
improved our ability to have a really positive dialogue with the club. And that dialogue with the club has not been an easy ride over time. <laughs> um, there are times when you feel like you're banging a head against a brick wall. And I don't know like, what you're talking about, Paul, from a personal experience. <laughs> hey, you know, we love our club on the field. And there are times that the corporate monster that is any large corporate organisation feels just so arcane and bizarre. It's beyond belief. But it has actually been, over time, a progressive uh, movement forward. And the club supporting the launch of Cop Outs a couple of years ago was fantastic because, you know, to get that recognition, okay, we're not an official supporters club, but the club knew that they had to do something because the official supporters clubs would and should be the home for all all and any fans of the club, including LGBT fans. But when those official supporters clubs are organised in one of the 76 countries around the world where it's illegal to be lesbian or gay, or in one of the six to ten, depending on how you slice it, countries where the death penalty may exist for being lesbian or gay, then actually it's not really a fair cop to think about trying to organise an inclusive official supporters committee. We pointed this out with the backing of other supporters committee members and the other supporters groups, and the club went, you know what, you're right, okay, we won't give you an official supporters club status, but they will recognise us as... A, an LGBT supporters group a bit like the way they recognise the LDSA mm-hmm. and that was a big step forward because it's meant that we as a supporters group can get a certain degree of sanction from the club and work more closely with the club on their inclusion agenda and since the disbandment of the supporters committee and the setting up of the new forums which is another hornet's nest of issues <laughs> because you know we we try and engage positively with the club um, and other fan groups and the supporters committee was really good from our perspective for that because actually every single aspect of the club, club's work, whether it's a new stadium, whether it's ticketing, has an impact to every single fan type, including LGBT fans. And we're now boxed more into an equality, diversity and inclusion forum, which doesn't necessarily mean that we get to work with the club on wider issues where actually there might be an equality input to be made. So sometimes there are frustrations with the new structure. But we've got what we've got. We're going to use it to the best of our ability and work with our friends and partners in other parts parts of the uh, supporters' family. Would it it be fair to say that... um that the relationships sort of kicked on a level and, and the, and the vis- visibility has kicked on a level since Peter Moore came in. And it seems to me that he's been a real advocate for, for not just kind of paying lip service, if you like, for the relationship, but also, you know, I know he marches with you and um, I know that he was quite instrumental in, in, in putting a video out uh, when, when he first arrived, which was, which was kind of, you know, a bit of a turning point, it yeah. felt to me. For someone like me who, for, you know, to notice these things, yeah. like, I think that was one of the first big things that I noticed. I think Peter Moore doing that was absolutely fantastic. Um, he's an authentic Liverpool fan. He's chief executive of the club as well. And for him to put the video out from the dressing room and say dead clearly, look, the club's values stand four square behind the rights of LGBT plus people across our city, region and beyond. And we are marching in solidarity because we respect those rights and we expect our fan base to respect that. And that message 
cut across so much nonsense that some people would be, you know, trying to say that, oh, oh it's just a token this or whatever. Um, and the club are, you know, very much trying to do the right thing and sometimes not quite getting it right, admittedly. Um, we have recently seen the launch of some Pride-branded merchandise and that we had some kickback in the LGBT community for some people saying, oh, they're just rainbow washing. They're just trying to improve their brand by um, putting some Pride-branded LFC gear out. Actually, the club are now sponsoring Liverpool Pride. They're using the proceeds of some of the sale of that to support... Liverpool Pride, which has got to be a fantastic thing. Yeah. It's more money into a very cash-strapped um, shoestring operation. I mean, it costs an absolute fortune to do all the security, the traffic management, the street cleansing before you even get to putting somebody on a stage. You know, you're big at putting on events and stuff like <laughs> that. You know, you were involved with Madrid and so yeah. on, and you know that all that kind of stuff costs. Well, it's not just the front of house stuff that costs; it's all the residual stuff, particularly street cleansing. It's a, you know they're talking a ten to twenty thousand bill for each day of street cleansing at least. Um, so every bit of money that comes in uh, from the club, from other organisations, is a big boost to Liverpool City Region Pride, which is the new organisation that's taking Pride forward at the minute. And for LFC to put money into it, but actually uniquely to also be the only premiership clubs putting money into a Pride event because the other club putting money into the same Pride event is Everton. And that is massive that the two clubs can put aside those rivalries such as they are and put money into our city region's Pride and make sure that everybody in our city region who's involved with the football world can get a sense of that. And that's actually knocking on the door of the likes of Tranmere and Southport now saying come on, you need to start chipping in a bit as well. They've got an amazing fan group at Tranmere, Rover and Out, and their fan group are marching with us at Liverpool Pride this year, and we want to make sure that their club also thinks about how can we make a contribution to Pride. Uh, Liverpool have put some tweets out today. We're, we're uh, recording this on Tuesday because uh, I fly out to America on Wednesday, so um, the club put some tweets out today. It's fair to say that the reaction isn't always positive, Paul. Um, I don't know what you you think when you see that whether whether I don't know maybe you choose to focus on the positive rather than the negative because obviously there's lots of supportive comments as well or when you see the negative does it make you just more determined I guess um, it absolutely makes me more determined it makes me realise how important the work we're doing is when you can be faced with such stupid levels of hostility over something as non-relevant to enjoying football as who I choose to sleep with you know, I love my partner, my husband, and that shouldn't make me the target of abuse. Um, it's nothing to do with anybody else. And for somebody to think that that's uh, a stick to beat somebody with shows how much education work is necessary. The fact that we haven't had an out gay top-level player since the days of Justin Fashno, he of the wonder goal, <laughs> um, says a huge amount about the need to actually improve the environment and the work of people like Peter Moore, the LFC, um, LFC Foundation, Cop Outs, Red Neighbours, in looking to address issues of homophobia, transphobia and biphobia is so, so important. Only last month we saw two gay men assaulted, homophobically abused 
and left in hospital as a result of young people thinking it was appropriate to homophobically abuse people in the streets by Anfield. Yeah. That's just out of order. And, you know, I want to make sure that we get a better world and for the club to be sending out clear messages. It's flipping vital. We've got to get to the point that those sorts of messages aren't needed. Absolutely. I'd love it to be able to say, you know, why would LFC be putting out these messages? Nobody needs them. Yeah. But sadly, we are in a world where it is dangerous to be a minority sometimes. Um, We're living in a world where I cannot safely hold the hand of my husband in public, mostly. And it's things, small things that people take for granted. But I don't want to put him in danger or myself in danger unwarrantedly. And that's why things like pride are so important. Things like the support of our football club. And to get people like Joel Matip speaking out in the Kick It Out video against homophobia, those you know, relatively small gestures are massively meaningful. We know that organisations like football clubs reach audiences that councils and police and schools never will. Um, so Pride is, uh, we're, we're kind of building up to that, it's the 27th uh, of this month. It's it's a big celebration, isn't it? And it's a big party and there's, as, as you say, there's performers on stages and things like that and, and, the, and the clubs in, in the gay village kind of obviously go, go to town, uh, literally. Um, but it's also about the marches isn't it? and yeah. the marches is, is kind of where it all started really and the march is important isn't it and the fact that the cop outs are involved is great the fact that lots of people including Liverpool Football Club including and I suppose to Shangri hopefully the Anfield Rap this year we've just been talking about that uh, march with you guys is it's a big thing right it's massive and to see 25 35,000 people marching in Liverpool is hugely important. This is a city region that didn't have a pride until nine years ago. I was involved in developing that first pride. And we wanted to be highly visible. We wanted to be really inclusive. We wanted to be um, free to access. And we wanted to be uniquely Liverpool. And those four values that came from the community are still true today in what the pride is about. It is a political march. Um, you're not coming on this march unless you recognise the importance of the politics of it because the politics are about LGBT rights being as valid as anybody else's. They are about the right to exist, the right to work, the right to be free from discrimination, the right to love. Dead simple stuff, but things that people too easily take for granted. We're living in a world where, yes, legally we have all of those things, but I'm not complacent for one minute about those rights being chipped away by whichever new government we get in the next period. Um, Our rights are as important as anybody else's and they are fundamental human rights. And to have the march in our city, for people to join us in solidarity and show their solidarity is dead, dead important. Leading the march every year are Michael Causal's family. Now, Michael Causal was a young man from Highton who was murdered less than a mile from his parents' house. He was left to die on a curbside and he was just 18 years old, a teenager, a small teenager. He was murdered for no other reason than he was gay. And that was in the same area that Anthony Walker was murdered. And sadly, it's the same sort of small-minded individuals who see fit to carry out hate crimes like that. Now, I don't often talk about politics because it's not my job to, but the situation in this country in terms of hate crime 
since political events over the last couple of years, hate crime has increased massively for black people and for LGBT plus people. And we need to counter that. And Pride is part of the mechanism of changing that. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, so Pride is on the 27th in Liverpool. If you are around, there's no football on. It's not till the next day. So do get out and support events in any way that you feel kind of suits you really, either watching, joining in, um, getting stuck into the, to, into the bars or, or enjoying the entertainment on the day. Uh, it's great to have as many people as possible because solidarity as ever is key. But huge thanks to Paul uh, for joining us. And yeah, back to whoever's presenting weekend. I'm delighted to be joined by Christian Walsh, who's here to talk about a new project he's involved with. Um, um, so, I mean, first of all, Chris, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be back. It's nice to uh, see the studio again. Yeah, it's it's nice to have you in, and nice to, um, to hear about anything new that's kind of being launched. That's um, going to be an asset for Liverpool fans. Um, it's Liverpool.com. Um, I mean, I don't know why I'm talking. You tell us all about it. Yeah, yeah. So Liverpool.com is a brand new site for primarily the United States of America audience. Uh, we know that Liverpool have got a massive following there, and obviously from my time at the Echo, I was there for five years. And you just see the the, the audience and, and the engagements on social media and just how passionate people are over there. So, you know, we, we've, we've looked into doing different things around tactics and finance and, and gaming in, in journalism uh, recently. And now we're saying, well, OK, well, so we brought these new disciplines to journalism. Can we look at a football club and can we take it to a new audience? And that's exactly why we're doing it for, for, for the US. And we think it's a really a, a good place to, to target because I was over there in 2014. This is where it all started, really, this this kind of infatuation with America. I went over there for the pre-season tour um, and they were just fantastic. The, 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 the fans over there were, were so passionate, so knowledgeable. Um, and, and they've sort of completely and utterly... Um, you know all those sorts of preconceptions around you know US fans. It's not true. They are fantastic. I'm sure you will agree because you've course, been over there yeah. a couple of times. So it's just about creating a, a different type of content to the Liverpool Echo and and providing something slightly different than than, than what they're getting from the Echo. I know you're an American sports fan, and I was wondering whether some of the ideas have been influenced by how they cover sports over there as well. And I know kind of. I mean it's. It's obviously different games, but um, I've I've known from from reading stuff about about basketball and about baseball and stuff. It, it tends to be a lot more analytical, doesn't it, and things like that. There's a, there's a use of stats more, and I wonder how much kind of that has influenced kind of what you're trying to do. Yeah, definitely. You know, statistics, analytics. The, the I think US sports are very interested in the process, uh, so we're going to be looking at that. There's also I feel like, because I, I consume, as you say, I'm mainly an NFL fan, Chicago Bears, go Bears. Um, <laughs> but I mainly just kind of consume it in terms of, they just like to get to the nitty gritty. They like talking points and they like an answer. They like to know, um, you know, why you're saying what you're saying and whether that's through, you know, a well-founded argument, which, which you might have made up in your head or whether it's through the idea of analytics and numbers. That's how it how it goes really. There's also other kind of things like exit surveys, which which they do in terms of let's all get together and talk about the game. Um, you know, did they, they like things like power rankings? Because again, they don't like this idea. I don't feel anyway. I, I don't want to generalise a, a nation of you know sure. the, yeah, but um, you know, player ratings can be very subjective. Whereas and you know who somebody seven could be a six. Whereas power rankings. You're saying Virgil van Dijk's number one. You're saying Genie Van Alden's number two, and you're saying Alberto Moreno's number three. 
let me pick you apart and tell you why. And there's no hiding place there because you, you're pr- pretty much putting yourself on that pedestal and saying, this is what I believe. I, I feel like a lot of American journalism does that. And, uh, you know, also, I think it's just, there's a bit of a fluidity to it. There's a lot of uh, nice prose in, in American journalism and, and it's just a little bit different to, to, to UK journalism. So it's it's something, it's a challenge. Um but, you know, we're already seeing people are kind of enjoying it. I think also is the idea around it of community. Um, and we have this massive fan base who uh, are not fortunate enough to live in the city um, and, and are unfortunate enough to go to every game. So it's that idea of, you know, this is what the city is about. This is what it's like being a, a Liverpool fan and, and, you know, sort of enjoy it. You know, we can be we can all be friends and, and hopefully you like our content. I mean, you've got a team that people will recognise yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. who are listening to this. Um, not just in terms of you know some hot young talents from the Anfield rap, but also Joel, who's who's well known into from the from the Twitter universe in terms of the writing that he's done. You must be really pleased with who you've put together. Yeah, I felt like Michael Edwards, you know, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely nailed that one. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm delighted that, that they're all really good uh, good people. Um, they're all people who sort of understand. The city, the, the the you know, they understand the culture around it. Um, I think also another thing about US journalism is that it, it's about profile. It's about people become accustomed to what somebody's saying, and they they, they get to know that character. They get to know that person. Um, and and in Joel and, and the two Dan's, Dan Morgan and Dan Austin, you know, there the, are the people there who who have certain views about football and, and certainly about life, and hopefully that translates into what what they write about as well. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about. The fact that it's aimed at American audience, that's not to say that other people can't enjoy it. In fact, I've been enjoying it last week, this Thank week. You. You've done a lot, I would say. Um, I don't know whether that was your um, your kind of, you know, idea that we'll, we'll hit them hard and early and often, but it's, there's been a lot of really good stuff on this week and I've, and I've really enjoyed it. Um, and particularly the stuff around the game last night, I like the idea of analysing a, a key sentence from what Jürgen Klopp said, because that can be quite tricky to kind of do really, you know, because he's... You, you you seem to be looking for the almost well you know there's, there's so many things he's, a manager's always going to say in the certain things a manager has to say but but what's the one line that kind of gives something away and I thought that was clever yeah you, we've got to look at it in a different way really from look the, the, the Liverpool echo in terms of you know media um, you know they 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 do so much um, and I was a part of that obviously for for a long time and there's no point somebody doing the obviously it's not the James Pierce verdict anymore but whoever that will be doing the verdict and doing the player ratings for example because you know the Echo do player ratings Ben Johnson does incredible player ratings um, unique every, unique <laughs> incredible I think, I, think, I think they're incredible this one of my favourite pieces I've ever uh, I read every week but you know, uh, uh, you know national media so it's what can you do that makes you kind of stand out to an American audience, and, and that's where we'll be adding other little things as, as we go along as well. Um, but you know, it it, it, it's a, it's, it is a challenge because you know, there's been a couple of times where you know, where he signs his contract, and, and it's kind of like, well, hold on, we, we what what do, what does an American supporter want to read about this? How do they want to see it presented? Um, and also at the same time, how are we making sure that we're not taken away from the 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 the, 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 the audience who so are reading it on the Liverpool yeah. Echo? So it's it, it, it's a difficult balance it's balance to strike but I feel like we've we, we started okay we haven't fallen out with anybody yet so that, that's always good in your first week I think what a, a kind of a overseas audience as well of Liverpool fans want is is stuff from the heart of the city and we can talk about style and we can talk about kind of you know using 
you know analytics more or using certain you know writing kind of styles more but also the fact is you're here you're in the city center you're there you're, you're present at games and i think it's given that kind of feel touch emotion of of the city and, and, of, and of Anfield on a match day that's going to be important as well, I assume. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It, it, it's about striking that chord and, and kind of saying, this is what it's like to, to be a Liverpool supporter. This is what it's like to, to have that privilege of, of, of maybe being in the press box. You know, here's, here's, here's some of the, the, the legends of Liverpool's past and present, sort of having having a, a bit of LFC chicken in the press room, that kind of thing. <laughs> just just all of these kind of little tidbits that, you know, fans from, from overseas mightn't get to see and, and I'm sure they'll enjoy. We, we, we see it when we go over there in, in the US in terms of how they bring a bit of Anfield to to Fenway or to the Yankee Stadium. And I know that sounds really cliche, but I feel like it's true. No, it, it, it really yeah. is. It, unless you've actually been there in the stadium when it's getting played, you don't realise, I don't think, what it can be like. It does feel like a part of Anfield is, has been transported over the Atlantic. It's a strange sort of clash, isn't it, between like the kind of, you know, the American versus kind of Liverpool kind of cultures kind of coming together. It's really nice. Yeah, yeah, it is. And because obviously the American, the MLS fans have this sort of ultra culture, if yeah. you will. Um and then it's, that sort of maybe goes against Liverpool's general culture, but although maybe not so much in recent times. But the idea of choreography and all that is definitely present, and, and, and it feels really good that it all comes together as one. So it, it, it's nice to, to provide something for these people. As a piece of perfect timing, Liverpool Football Club go to uh, America next week. Um, Chris Walsh is going to America next week. Um, are you looking forward to it? Are you going to be wearing a sandwich board? Um, <laughs> what, are you, what kind of things are you going to be getting involved with? Uh, I've actually got a Liverpool.com shirt, um, but, but I'm, I'm not sure if that will come out of the suitcase, to be fair. <laughs> uh, we'll see. It, it might be, it might be virtual listening. Uh, <laughs> it, it might be too small for me, we'll see. Um, no, we, we'll be over there. Uh, South Bend, a little bit of Chicago. Um, New York and, and Boston. Uh, hopefully, I'll be popping my head in and saying hello on on, on your two shows as well. Great. Make sure you're, you're buying your tickets if you haven't done so yet. <laughs> um, and just in general, yeah, we, we, we'll be there talking to fans. We'll be covering the game as well. Um, but it's just about, to be honest, you know, to peer behind the curtain. The moment it's it's, it's going to be half journalism covering it. Uh, but also half meeting people over there, marketing, and just kind of getting the, the message out there that, you know, this is a site for you guys. Please tell us what you want, because although we think we know what you want, nobody is best place to tell us what you want than you. So uh, if you do see me around, um, probably slightly sweaty, uh, very stressed, and trying to find Wi-Fi in a, well, if it was anything like Charlotte, North Carolina, <laughs> a Hooters. Um, I know, where is it? I mean, you, you, you break it down all the walls that these tours are glamorous here. <laughs> We're all, we're all knackered, hot, and looking for Wi-Fi. <laughs> exactly. Please, please, just bring me some sort of spray. <laughs> I mean, it sounds great. As I say, Chris, I've genuinely enjoyed the stuff already. Um, I think you've got a great team involved. I'm not just saying that because some of my friends. Um, I think you've, you've done really well, and I'm, I'm excited to see kind of what you guys are going to do. And I think anyone trying to do something different and add to all our supporters enjoying culture is uh, is most welcome. No, thanks very much, and thank you for letting me uh, talk about it. <laughs> More than welcome. Cheers. Thanks to John and to Christian there. Liverpool.com sounds very exciting. And um, we've actually got one of their new signings in the studio here with us now. So, Joel, maybe we should ask you a little bit about it. How are you finding it so far? Yeah, it's been all good so far. Um, I've been doing bits and pieces for the last few weeks, but I started properly on Monday. Um, yeah, for those who don't know about it, we've kind of launched uh, in July this summer. Um, it's a new website. We're kind of affiliated to the Echo, but we are separate. We're our own thing. And it's kind of primarily geared towards the American fan base. Um, it's kind of a website primarily for them. 
uh, to engage with them and kind of build up the club's kind of growing reputation there. Obviously, as well, we're trying to reach everyone here and across the world um, and trying to put a little bit of different spin on things. Um, so we're less kind of your standard news reporting stories and more kind of conversational and opinion pieces and trying to look for stories that people haven't necessarily heard and kind of trying to build that um, that story for fans in America. Um, so, yeah, it's all been very busy so far. We've got Christian out in the US. Um, I hope he's in Chicago by now. I've still understand. in New York. He is yeah. out yeah. He could, could well still be on an aeroplane somewhere. Um, but, yeah, he'll be covering everything there. And we've got me and the two Dans, who you probably already know, mm-hmm. for the Anfield Wrap. So, yeah, it's all going well. And the website's pretty easy to remember, liverpool.com. You can check it out on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram all of that and there'll be loads of stuff over pre-season and, and beyond that so yeah sounds very exciting that's enough free advertising for now <laughs> can I just say on a personal note that I'm enjoying having both Dan's in my office and every time I look up I'm like what are you doing here they work there forever now <laughs> um, get to have little lunch breaks get to give them little like snide glances when I'm trying to tell them something in the office but um, it's a real delight it's like a crossover of my two lives see you're enjoying it now we'll, oh yeah we'll come back to you in about three months on yeah. that one when Dan Austin embroiled in a HR battle Oh, that will definitely happen. Okay, so for the next part of this chat, I wanted to do something a little bit different. Obviously, we've mentioned the tour itself. We've mentioned what preseason is normally about. So I want to ask all of you assembled here two questions, a two-pronged question. First of all, I want to ask you, for which player in the squad will this tour be the most important? I'm specifically talking about the games, not the time in Evian. Now, because there's four of you here, I've allowed you to have an extra one in case someone's already said the same thing. Mm-hmm. And from what I gather before we started recording, that might well be the case. <laughs> the second part of this question, as we've mentioned, Sadio Mane is still playing in the African Cup of Nations. Chances are he won't be available for the first game on August 9th against Norwich. So, who takes his place? So these are two prong questions. I will ask the first prong first, and then I'll ask the second prong <laughs> in a different order, just to shake things up a little bit. Say prong again. Prong. Okay. Right. <laughs> we can go now. <laughs> All right. Well, I might as well start with you then, Amelia. Okay. Um, <laughs> so unlucky, Mike. <laughs> so um, it's not controversially, but perhaps surprisingly, I'm going to say James Milner. Not in a because he has anything to prove way or because of anything negative at all, actually in a positive way, because I think that what he does in this preseason and how he performs means that he gets to kind of set a marker and go, right, this is the standard if you want to wear the shirt and if you want to be on in that starting 11, this is how good you need to be, come and be this good. And I think that he gets to do that and kind of show them all what they need to do and the level they need to play at and what they need to be able to give if they want to get that shirt off him. So if you want to be getting into that starting 11 and if you want your name to be there, then you need to be as good as James Milner is in this preseason tour. And he's already been setting the standards since day one. I mean, we all know about the lactate test. I imagine that as much as he does take pride in looking after himself, I reckon that that, that setting the standard, that marker thing, has probably got something to do with it as well. Yeah. Did you see the um, the face app thing that's obviously stealing all our data that showed what James Milner would look like in, like when he's like 70? <laughs> he looks and, like, the same. He looks really <laughs> It's just like it's when he'll finally reach like peak physical footballing form because he just uh, doesn't seem to be slowing down at all. But no, I just think, yeah, I mean, obviously there's players that have got things to prove and points to make not as much points to make but you know what I mean that can kind of go out there and and show things to Klopp and really try and make a name for themselves whereas he doesn't need to do that he's done all of it but it's important not only for him but for the rest of the squad because it kind of sets a precedent 
That's an interesting point, mm. especially when you consider some of the more senior guys from the dressing room are going to be leaving over the yeah. course of this summer. So, yeah, I, I like that answer. Thank yeah. you. Thanks. I'm sure Mike probably likes it too. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm not nicked either of his. Yeah, um, I, I was going to say either Oxley Chamberlain or Brewster, and for pretty similar reasons, not really proven to the manager because, look, they're in the squad, they're on the tour, don't have to prove not to the manager if you're there, do you? You know, he obviously thinks a lot about you. You just need to do what he thinks you're capable of to get in the squad. But mainly just for themselves to, to you know, to get minutes in the legs, in in the games, and to 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 be able to, I don't know, feel as if of oh, that injury it's gone now. So it's it's more of a mental issue for them, really. More like so, it's, it's out of the head. And I think you're seeing a little bit with Oxley Chamberlain. He wasn't scared to put a tackle in at Tramia. Mm-hmm. You know, he was, he was running all over the gaff on a Sunday when he was playing against Bradford. So. It's just all about for, for them two players, for me in particular, proving that they can do it to themselves and a little bit to the fans because th- there will be doubts about oh, are we getting the same Oxley Chamberlain? Because you know, before when before his injury at Roma, he he was fantastic, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. he and really was. we're all, we're all a bit unsure of Brewster because we've never seen him do it, barring pre-season friendly this year. But he's obviously got the quality they see a day in day out in training since he's come back. You know, all the players obviously know he's good enough, so they're not going to be like not passing him the ball. And you know the brief glimpses we've seen of him, he's he never switching off in pre-season games, and it's probably easier to do it in a pre-season game than a normal game. I don't need to make that extra run. I don't need to anticipate the ball bouncing here, and he's he's been switched on for credit to him, like he's he's ready to go. So you know, hopefully if he if he gets off the bench in, at Norwich, maybe for 25 minutes or so, then he, he's hopefully going to do well, and that'll give him a massive boost going forward to the season. It's interesting that you've paired them together because I think they've been really good for each other. Obviously, they were going through the rehabilitation at the same time, so a lot of those same issues, they're they're sharing them. And from what I can hear, Brewster has kind of been more of like the bigger brother and kind of picking up Oxlade-Chamberlain when he was down. And obviously, you look at Oxlade-Chamberlain, you look at him on social media, you think he's just a normal, happy-go-lucky guy, but... He's a guy who's been through a lot. I mean, yeah. he's gone through a lot of injury woes before he got to Arsenal. So, to have gone through a big injury so soon in his Liverpool career, he's obviously going to affect him mentally. But I like the idea of the two of them as a duo. I really do. I think it could be something that Klopp maybe continues. Maybe he looks to kind of put them in the same team together. Yeah, I think I think we've, as I said before, everyone's only had forty-five minutes so far. I, I imagine them two will be the fit. In among the first players that get an extra 15, 20 minutes after the half time break, just to see, just you know, just to test the waters with them, he said see how it goes. I think um, Alex Ox has said in the past about how Brewster, like while he was injured enough, helped him a lot by chatting about kind of his own experiences and things, and that like they must have got closer through that. But yeah, it takes a lot. That you know the um, the Sunderland documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, when they're showing kind of what it's like, all your mates being out playing, and you just kind of spending you shift every single day essentially the version of it just in physio and like trying to make your legs work again it's like invisible isn't it yeah you would just it's like I cannot imagine the knock that that has on you mentally when like that's your entire life it's not a fucking hobby do you know what I mean so like yeah seeing him just running all over the place is great you must feel like he's got bionic legs just like look what I can do just running everywhere yeah let's hope he doesn't actually think he's got bionic legs that could cause cause a few issues Uh, Joel who's the guy you're looking out for in this tour uh, I had two. I'll just pick one because I don't want to rob Lizzie of having the last one. Um, oh, but I'll go. I'll, <laughs> nice one. Yeah, I'll keep one spare. Um, I'm going to say Joe Gomez. Um, again, not that he has anything to prove as such because I think we saw in the first half of last season he was 
I'd say often as good as Van Dijk, um, but of a very kind of similar level. Um, he was fantastic. And it was a real shame again to see him get another kind of freak impact injury, which ended up basically ending his season in December. Um, thankfully, obviously, Matip did fantastically when he came in. But I think that's a really interesting subplot this summer, which I don't think has been talked about that much so far. Um, but I think will kind of come into focus over the US tour because there's a massive kind of decision for Klopp to make there. Um, Van Dijk's obviously Van Dijk he's going to play pretty much every game when he's fit but I think between those two there's a really interesting conversation to be had because I think kind of on a meritocracy the way Matip performed you can't really take the shirt off him um, he played all the way through that run that got us to the Champions League final and I think probably was one of our best players on the day in Madrid in, the team didn't play great but I thought he was fantastic in the assist. final got an assist I think his first ever assist for Liverpool not a bad time to get it Um yeah, I think long-term, obviously, Joe Gomez is the answer. I think he's got all the attributes you'd want from a Klopp centre-back. He's quick, he's strong, he can read the game brilliantly, he brings the ball out of defence. Um, I'm really split in the moment. I, mm. I think Gomez is probably the better player when he's at his best, but you just feel so comfortable watching Matip and Van Dijk now. You've got to see them together for pretty much five months at the end of last season. Um, and They look great. But then well, I think we conceded something like six goals when... Van Dijk and Gomez played together in the league last season so I'm really looking forward to seeing how Gomez does hopefully he can have a year where he's just fit and can play throughout the whole season because although we kind of label him as injury prone um, he would impact I, injuries it's, it's all a bit harsh because I think he's he's done his has he done his Achilles he's done his cruciate ligament in his knee he broke his leg they're not kind of repetitive muscle injuries or Dejan Lovren's cold which happens every other weekend Um <laughs> So, yeah, it would be nice. I think he's, what, 21, 22 now, so he's still got loads of time ahead of him. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing him fit and sharp and hopefully kind of stake a claim to win that spot back. It is a real, real juicy subplot. And I think when you add into it the fact that Gomez is still technically uh, first-choice cover for right-back mm. and maybe Klopp uses that as his out to say, look, OK, well, Gomez, you're my guy to start with, but if I need to rest Trent, then Matip, you come in as well. But I don't know. I mean, is Gomez at the age now where he starts to say, look, he goes to the manager and says, I just want to play at centre-half. Ironically, yeah. that's where he got his injury. At right-back, wasn't it covering for Burnley? That's why I think he yeah. played. Yeah. I think I don't know if it was Lovren or Matip, but I know Gomez was right-back, and he, that, it was Barzi that went into the tackle with him, yep. and he went into the advertising board, didn't he? So, ironically, it was playing right-back where he got... So, it seems it seems a bit mad to say, but you you're involved in more tackles at right back because the centre half you can use your brain and intercept a bit more and win headers and what have you. But you know, hopefully, as you were saying before, he, he just he can be one or the other, and hopefully he gets a, a big run. Yeah, I've I've got quite a strong view on the Gomez right back thing. I just, I just think the way that fullbacks play for Liverpool, obviously, I think there's 28 assists in the end, like ridiculous numbers from Trent and Robertson, but they are effectively extra attackers they mm -hmm. play closer to the front three than they do to the midfield most of the time um, Trent's obviously a converted midfielder and Robertson spends most of his game playing in kind of the opposite side of a pitch so I think from what you want in a player in that position I just see Gomez as kind of similar to when people criticise Klein they're perfectly competent players are comfortable on the ball and obviously very solid defensively but when you get into the final third I, you don't you sense that opposition teams would be happy to let Gomez have the ball um, and that's kind of my issue there I think I'd, I'd almost rather see him move one of the midfielders whether it be Milner or 
it sounds crazy to say who's never seen it before but even like Oxlade Chamberlain if you're trying to break a team down kind of out wide on the right um, and obviously the injury thing like you said I think he's probably more likely to get injured running up and down the wing um, but I'm not Jurgen Klopp so he might just do that anyway <laughs> well um, he's hoping he'll be working on his crosses regardless <laughs> just in case he does get a chance okay Lizzie it's your turn so everyone's stolen but I did have one in mind that was um, a little bit different and not necessarily because not against fella that I want him to have an important pre-season no I do I do want him to have a good pre-season so in terms of who, what an important pre-season it links in with what you were saying Joel Dejan Lovren mm-hmm. because the man has been a first choice centre half Liverpool he's been a second choice centre half or sort of a half choice centre half because like I say when, when he was putting Gomez as um, Trent cover just to give Trent a rest it was Dejan Lovren coming at centre half and for me this is this is crunch time for, for Dejan Lovren and Liverpool I think we're seeing this breed of players, if you want to call them that, the Simon Mignolet, uh, Daniel Sturridge is obviously gone, Albert Mar- Alberto Moreno is obviously gone, Dejan Lovren's in that mix as well, uh, Adam Lallana. So those two for me uh, are the ones. So Adam Lallana, Dejan Lovren, these players who have been here for a while have played under Klopp, under different managers. Adam Lallana's getting on a bit. But for Dejan Lovren, he's, he was the, the next choice after Joe Gomez, I think, Klopp's probably had a word with him and said last season, you know, Joe, Go- Joe Gomez is my first choice. But when he goes to right back, you're coming in. You're not telling me that Joel Matip is going behind Dejan Lovren now. So I think Dejan Lovren has a lot to prove. Mm-hmm. And rightly so, because it's great that hopefully they're all competing against each other. But he really needs to step up his game to meet the standard that Matip has been performing at last season. But then Joe Gomez has got to do that. And I'm not saying that he's got... Yeah, he has got something to prove because he's been out injured. We all know he's good enough, but mm-hmm. a long time out like that, such a long period, can affect a player. And you need to tell him, you need to perform, and you need to be as comfortable as Joel Matter was last season. So for me, um, it's Dejan Lovren. I threw Adam Alana in there because he's <laughs> no, it's the same sort yeah, of yeah, type yeah. of player. Like I say, it's, it's in that same group. And I think I was surprised that Adam Alana stayed. I was probably one of the only ones. Um, I, I was surprised. I was thinking, well, what part does he have to play? Um, but if he's your sixth choice midfielder, then you know you've got a good squad, don't you? Yeah, and Lallana is a really interesting one because he's been playing in the sixth role, if you want to call it that, uh, in the, these preseason games. And yeah, I'm interested to see how that works out. But then this time last year, it was Genie doing that, and we all scratched our heads, and that worked out kind of okay. <laughs> but with Lovren, um, it feels like, you're right, this is a crucial summer because we've kind of felt the same way about him for the last couple of years. As in, like, there is a talent in there. We can't rely on said talent. And with every year that we seem to be, you know, stockpiling teenage phenom centre-backs, it's got to a point now where maybe people are still in for him. Maybe his value is only going to go down if he doesn't play. So, you know, we'll never know. We'll never know. We'll have to wait and see whether he gets in but this is part two time now uh, part two is sorry I don't understand what you mean do you mean prong two prong two prong two sorry yes <laughs> you just want it's, me to it's say a prong quick again, fire, it's you? a quick fire prong two yes <laughs> yeah this, this this is a we've so done all the explanations <laughs> this, is, this is just a gut feeling on what you think Jurgen Klopp will do come August the 9th who's playing alongside we're, we're assuming that Salah and Firmino make it who is the third member of the front three? I'm going to ask you for one word, one word only, starting Ooh. anti-clockwise. Lizzie. Origi. Joel. Same thing. Divock. Brewster. 
Mike. Oh, I have to be boring and agree with the consensus that it will probably be Divock. Do you want Divock? Uh, yeah, because he's boss, isn't he? <laughs> you know, I'm not saying I'm trying to. You know, who knows? He might turn into a two, might he? He might play Salah and Firmino as a two, and maybe play Chamberlain with Genie, Fabinho, and good another midfielder. So, but it's it's Norwich, isn't it? I know disrespect to Norwich. They're going to come and have a good go, but we'll beat them. Who would you have, man? Me personally, Brewster. Who do you think? I agree with you guys. I think it will be Origi. Unless there's something we see in these pre-season games whereby we can see the next evolution of the team. And Oxlade-Chamberlain himself, he might be the key. We might see him move somewhere we've not seen him move in a Liverpool shirt and that could change everyone else around him. But we just don't know. The first game against Borussia Dortmund is coming really soon. I believe it's Friday morning. Saturday, 1am tomorrow. 1am. John, Neil, Josh, Craig, Fuad are all out living it up in America. Podcast, videos, post-match reactions as usual. Um, so if you don't subscribe uh, to the Anfield Draft, please do because there'll be loads of reaction. Um, and obviously the women's team are out there as well. So hopefully a little bit of a word on that too. So loads yeah. of good stuff to come. All to come. So I want to give a big thank you to everybody who's been on the show today. To Mike, to Amelia, to Joel, to Lizzie. Obviously to Neil and to Simon Hughes, to John and to Christian Walsh and to Paula Mann of Cop Outs as well. This has been The Weekender. We'll see you next week. Sports Social Podcast Network.